This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. And I remember last time we started with the story of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. We're all very familiar with that story. Some of us have memorized it. But what I want to focus on inshallah is to try and get lessons from that story as much as we can. The first thing I want to say is that Ibrahim السلام, is one of those prophets who is mentioned more than 73 times, 73 different places in the Quran. When you recite the Quran, it is so, we become so peculiar and so used to it that we read so much about Prophet Ibrahim السلام, and this shows us how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala truly loves him. Allah called Ibrahim السلام, his Khalil. In English, literally Khalil means a companion or a close friend, the closest friend. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can call anyone anything in, in the way that he is related to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But obviously the Khalil, the best friend of Allah, is not like saying the best friend of a human to another human. This is more of a title and an honor for Ibrahim السلام. Truly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always close to everybody. He is closer than a Khalil, he's closer than a Habib, a beloved. Ibrahim alayhi salam was Khalil al-Rahman, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him that title, and so did the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He is the great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. From him came the last messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and this ummah, subhanAllah. So Ibrahim alayhi salam is the father of, they also call him the father of the prophets. And the reason why Ibrahim is called the father of the prophets is guess why? Because every prophet that came after him was from his progeny, from his loins, from his offspring. They were all related, genetically related to Ibrahim Arabs and non-Arabs. All the children of Israel came from, descended from Ibrahim and the last of them, Muhammad and Ismail were the only two Arab prophets after Ibrahim they became Arab by marrying into the Arabs and living among the Arabs and speaking their language. They are also called Al-Arab and Musta'araba, the Arabs that became Arabs that weren't originally Arabs. And these are people mostly in the Middle East. Uh, there are original Arabs and they are the, the ones originally from Yemen and a few other places that were called Banu Jurhum. For those of you who learned, uh, who came to my Sira classes, we went through the whole history of the Arabs. Anyway, Ibrahim alayhi salam, he is the father of the prophets. That's what they call him, Abu al-Anbiya alayhi salatu wassalam. Ibrahim alayhi salam uh, came from, they say somewhere around Babylonia, from Iraq originally. So some scholars debate that he was originally an Arab, but Allahu alam, most of them say not. So he spoke a different language to Arabic. Uh, an earlier language than Hebrew. Allahu Alam, the earliest language you know of, of, of the one before Hebrew, that where Hebrew uh, language um, was born out of, is possibly called Aramaic. And it is believed that the earliest traditions of the Bible, of the scriptures sent to Moses, Musa salam, and Isa salam, and Dawood, were in Aramaic before Hebrew. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Ibrahim alayhi salam, is a prophet of Allah and a messenger who is honored and respected by, by the three main religions. Uh, 
Islam, Christianity and Judaism. And he is also mentioned in other religions as well, very subtly. The Hindus, and by the way, Hinduism technically is not a religion. It's not the name of a religion for those of you who thought that. Hindus are basically Indians. We don't know the origin, Allahu Alam, how far it dates back. And they're called Hindus, but the original beliefs in the religion of the Indians is, we call it the Hindu religion. Basically, it's just the Indians' ancient religion. The reason I'm saying this is because uh, in the time of Ibrahim السلام, there were Hindu beliefs. There were Hindu beliefs. And the ihram that we wear in Hajj and Umrah, you know, the two towels that we wear, Hindus also have a lot of that ancient practice. In fact, some of them, when they see us wearing that, they make comments like, this is Hindu tradition. This came from the Hindus. <laughs> and then the Christians, they come and tell us, you took your religion from us. And the Jews, they come and say, we're the originals. Everybody is happy and trying to say that they are the best and the first. What Islam says is, there is one religion that came from Allah, and there is only one God of all religions. Okay, of, 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 There is one God of the religion, and there is one religion from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for people, they divided into different groups and sects, and they added to their religion, or they changed it around. So the Hindu's origin, we believe, is from prophets of God, of Allah, that we believe in. And the origins of Christians, and origins of, of Jews, and all other religions, came from the one religion which Allah, our creator Allah, sent to all his prophets. And Islam is not a new religion. Islam is just an extension of the original religion, except that people changed it around. Right? Allah says, مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ uh, and another verse, مُصَدِّقٌ لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْكُمْ And the, the Qur'an is a confirmation and a clarification, confirmation of what was there from before. Right? Just some new laws were there. So Ibrahim السلام, is the common prophet that is shared by almost every religion. And Muhammad وسلم, is from his direct offspring, from Ibrahim السلام, through his second wife, Hajar. Ibrahim السلام, married two wives in his life, Sarah and Hajar, as you know. The, the name Sarah means one who brings happiness. And Hajar comes from the meaning of migration. And truly she was in Egypt and she was a slave to one of the tyrant kings of Egypt. We'll come to her story, inshallah, and how she became the wife of Ibrahim السلام, and from her came Ismail. He had a second son named Ishaq, Ishaq السلام, Isaac as you know. He came from the other mother, Sarah. So <clears throat> uh, the, the Jews and the, and the children of Israel come from the Ishaq side. And Ismail and the Muslims, the Arabs came from Ismail السلام, side. Brothers and sisters in Islam, Ibrahim السلام, was born in, as we said, close to Babylonia in Iraq. And his father's name was Azar. Azar means the one who is close to people. He is very kind, he's empathetic, he's close to people. He was kind and, and nurturing. People loved him. And he was an important man, a very important man. Why? Because he did something that people respected so much and put him in high places. Something which was false, actually, based on false beliefs. He used to make statues. He used to design the statues and form them in the way that the people made them to order. I want my God to look like this or like that. And they used to worship them. Now keep in mind, brothers and sisters, very importantly, a lot of people don't know that the people of Babylonia actually worshipped one God, really. They believed, sorry, I'll, I'll go back. They didn't actually worship, they meant to worship only one God. And they believed in only one God, Allah. 
All of them did. Even the Arabs in the time of Muhammad Sallallahu Quraysh, who worshipped all these 360 odd statues, they all said, there is only one God, the creator of everything. And when they were asked, then why do you worship the statues? They used to say, no, 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 no. We, we worship the, the form of the statues which represents you know, the closeness to God, you know, so that they can bring us closer to God. We intercede through them. And Allah still called it worshipping the idols. This was shirk. And so did the people of Ibrahim salam. Ibrahim salam therefore did not come to preach something new to his people. He came to return them back to their original belief, which is the worship of one God. That's what every prophet did. Every messenger came to return the people back to their original belief. Back to the real beliefs of their ancestors, which was the true belief. But unfortunately the people, they forgot and they passed on information and were brainwashed and they thought that this was the original belief of their ancestors, but actually in fact it was not. You know, they just went back a few hundred years and they thought this is what our religion is, but really nobody's religion was really what they thought it was. And Allah subhanahu wa talks about this in the Quran every time Allah sent a prophet and a messenger. The people say, we will follow where we left our ancestors upon. And every prophet and messenger will say exactly the same thing. Your ancestors did not know any better. They were ignorant. They were misguided. Right? Truly they were misguided. They were brainwashed. They were told wrong information. And they would bring to them the evidence and the proof. But the people, they used to follow their desire. They used to worship what? They used to worship the religion of their ancestors. Basically, they worshipped their pride and their ancestors. And this is what people are today. You know, your identity. It's my blood, my country, my, my, my lineage, um, my, my surname. Okay, that's very good. You should be proud of your identity and where you come from, but not at the expense of your religion. Not at the expense of your religion. The religion of Allah. The whole world belongs to Allah. We belong to Allah. Our blood belongs to Allah. Every, Allah is the creator of the universe. So he has the right only to be worshipped, not our ancestors who decide who, which God to be worshipped. So Allah used to say, and the prophets used to tell the people, do not worship the created things, worship the creator of the creation, which is very easy and very normal. And you know what? The prophets and messengers never really had to bring like evidence upon evidence and proof of God's existence. Everyone already believed in God's existence. It was never in history that we know of. Whether you read Muslim books or non-Muslim books of history, before the 20th century where people did not believe in a God. Everybody believed in, in God. Everybody believed in the God, but they made partners and associated partners with him, and they chose beings and things to make them sort of spiritually closer to the ultimate God. Even the Hindus today believe in an ultimate one God, but they make partners with him. The Sikhs believe in one God. The Christians say we believe in one God. The Jews, everyone does, except the atheists. Atheists don't believe in a God at all. No deity, nothing. Okay? Buddhists as well, they say God is, we don't know if he exists or not, but they still make something to direct their worship towards. So brothers and sisters, only until the 20th century did atheism really come out. Before that, they believed in God. So what you're going to see in the story of Ibrahim are things that could sound confusing because of what we're living today. To an atheist it will sound confusing. But if you take yourself back today, you'll understand how Ibrahim spoke to his people and why. You have to put it in context and how the people understood in what civilization he lived in. Keep this in mind. Every prophet and messenger that was sent to his people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent that prophet or messenger with the miracles that suit their people. With the miracles that suit their people. So if the people were uh, loved science, their prophet brought to them scientific miracles. If people loved uh, uh, sorcery and magic, they brought to them prophets that fought that, like Musa alayhi salam. If the people loved uh, engineering, Allah brought to them a prophet that can show them a greater miracle of engineering. 
These people uh, of Ibrahim alayhi salam, they were primitive minded. They loved it. They talked about sorcery. They used to choose, some of them used to choose idols to worship, to direct them to God. And others used to look to the heavens. They look at the stars. And each person would grab a star in the, in the heavens or a celestial or a, or a pattern of stars. Like what we have today in this false belief of astrology. They choose a pattern of stars. They made up those patterns and like... A, what are, they, what are they called? The, uh, scorp the horoscopes with their names. You know, the Scorpius, the Scorpion? Scorpius, I go. You know, you know what I'm calling Scorpius? I'm going back to Mortal Kombat, the game, Scorpius. Because that's all I know. Constellations, that's right, I just forgot. But that's how much I read about it, alhamdulillah, nothing. So these things came from ancient Babylonia, right? And the people of Ibrahim, alayhi salam, they used to take these constellations and make out of them some kind of being that they worshipped to bring them closer to God. Right? Some looked into the heavens, others looked into idols in front of them. Now, brothers and sisters in Islam, what is the mission of the prophets and messengers from God? To turn the people back away from false gods to the worship of the one true God, their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Can you imagine you are born from your father and your mother and they love you and you love them and then you go and start saying, No, you're not my dad, you're not my mother. So and so is my the neighbor is my dad, the neighbor is my mother, right? It's terrible. Right? Your identity is lost. Some people, they don't never know their fathers, right? Or they've never met their mothers. And they grow up, when they become adults, they search for their parents. Isn't that correct? They search for them, even though, even if told, they told them your parents abandoned you. Because it's innate nature. Nobody would accept that. So how can we accept it to the creator of our parents and the Lord of everything, one who, who created everything, right? It's innate. And subhanAllah, the prophets and messengers did not use a lot of proof to prove God's existence. Why? Because the prophets and messengers' sunnah you, when you read throughout their history in the Qur'an and their stories, you'll find that they don't actually sit there proving God's existence. Why? Because the ulama have told us that believing in God's existence is a fitrah. It's, an, it's, an, it's a natural uh, instinct that you are born with that directs you to believe in God. When you start using the mind, people start to debate too much and argue. And you go lost. Most people in the world believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if not all of them. They believe in them because of their instinctive feelings. Even atheists, when they turn to God, their instinctive feelings make them believe in God. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the example of somebody who's lost at sea, and the waves start hitting them the size of mountains, and then they remember God, and they say, oh God, save me. I had an atheist tell me the same thing. He says, what do I feel like that? Because the answer to that is fitrah. Innate nature is enough to make you believe in, in the creation. But people play with your mind and brain, and then you become misguided. Brothers and sisters in Islam, so the prophets and messengers used to turn the people away from making idol, making association, associating partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so was Ibrahim alayhi salam. So, Ibrahim salam dealt with two types of people. Those who worshipped idols and used them as a means to get to God. And those who worshipped stars and used them or planets to get closer to the ultimate one true God. Obviously, this is the shaitan putting these ideas into our heads. You've got to have some being in front of you to get you closer to God. And so, Ibrahim salam's argument comes in. Brothers and sisters, Allah said in the Quran, Inna Ibrahim kana ummatan. Ibrahim salam was a whole nation by himself. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell us that? Well, you'll find out. First of all, Ibrahim salam, it's indicated through tafsir that he was the only worshipper of Allah alone in the entire world. He worshipped Allah alone. If not the entire world, at least among his people that he was sent to. Allah says, 
Inna Ibrahima kana ummatan. He was a nation by himself. An ummah is usually means a whole group, a large nation that, that, that supports and believes in the same thing. Ibrahim was by himself and Allah called him by himself a nation. He was equivalent to a whole ummah. Yani today, Ibrahim is equivalent to one point, you know, three or whatever billion Muslims. He's equal to them by himself. And he stood firm by the truth. Having said this, we say, if you are the only person left on the truth and no one else, do not be saddened. So long as you're on the truth, that's what matters. doesn't matter how many people are not. And Allah says in the Quran, وَإِن تُطَعْ أَكْثَرَ مَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ يَضُلُّكَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ If you were to follow the choices of the majority of people, like what people elect to believe in, if you were going to say, well, the majority of people believe in it, therefore it has to be true, then they will lead you astray because the majority of people don't follow truth. They follow their desires, majority of people. So truth does not... Truth has nothing to do with size and numbers. If you have size and numbers, alhamdulillah. Truth has got to do with truth and itself, and that's it. Ibrahim Asam therefore was an ummah. He was a nation on his own. Secondly, since he was an ummah by himself, his arguments and his persuasive talk and the way he had to show the truth to his people is different to the way you and I give our da'wah. It's a little bit different. You can't bring, I'm just making this note, you can't take everything Ibrahim said and did with his people in giving them da'wah and say this is the hukam, this is now the law and the rule for me to use in the same today. Because your, our circumstances are different. We have to look at Prophet Muhammad as the closest example to da'wah. As for Ibrahim his circumstances were different. Number one, you are not one ummah by yourself. Number two, Ibrahim salam's people were related to him. Number three, his father made their idols. So he was the son of the manufacturer of idols, respected and honored. Right? Number four, he knew his people very well. He lived among them and they knew him. Okay, so his da'wah to them was going to be different. He knew their minds. And as the Prophet told us, to speak to people according to their level of understanding and comprehension. So each prophet spoke to his people according to their level of comprehension and understanding. Shu'aib for example. The Arab prophet Shu'aib was sent to a people who dealt with usury, riba. Modern day they, they say interest. And he spoke to them specifically or mostly about how they trade in business. Isa did not come to talk to them about how they trade in business. Musa didn't speak about it because their people weren't, this, was, this wasn't their problem. Is that correct? Ibrahim spoke to them in their language about the celestial, the, the um, constellations and the idol worshipping and he brought to them his unique argument. So, at first he was in his youthful days and the first one he started with was his own father and mother. As Allah says to Muhammad Sallam, Start with your da'wah with the closest people to you. Ibrahim did the same thing. He started with his father. And we see, subhanAllah, in the verses in the Qur'an, in the way that Ibrahim salam speaks to his father, is, number one, with firmness, but with respect. Firmness and respect. Some of the language Ibrahim salam uses in addressing his father may seem to some of us today a little bit offensive. But 
according to his relationship with his father and the way that his father debated with his son, he had to use this type of language. It's not disrespectful, but it can mean offensive in some cultures. So Ibrahim said, O oh father, why do you worship something that cannot speak or listen or benefit you in any way? That sounds offensive when you look at it from the perspective of this is his father, he's got his own beliefs, and he's sitting there questioning his own father, right? But it's not really offensive between Ibrahim and his father. It's more offensive the fact that his father has been put on the spot on the truth. And the problem was with his father because he can't accept the truth. Some people are brutally honest. And that's okay. And some people use diplomacy. Now, Prophet Muhammad addressed these people in a different way to Ibrahim. Because, as Allah says in the Quran, فَذَكِّرْ إِن نَفَعَتِ الذِّكْرَى Remind if the way that you're going to remind, or the reminding that you're going to remind, is going to benefit. And the ulama said, that means, when you're about to advise someone about something, think first. Is it going to benefit, or should you keep it and delay it for next time? Should you talk about something else at the moment? I'll give you a very quick example of Ibn Taymiyyah, when the Mongols had just converted to Islam, they were new. And when people convert to Islam new, obviously there's a lot of things that they don't know. There are still some habits of the past that still they have to work on. The Mongols were among the most brutal and most treacherous and uh, most barbaric people on earth. And they were still used to shedding blood. They needed time to get used to it. So one day he passed by them in the Muslim land. And in the Muslim land, you're not allowed to drink alcohol in public. You have to go inside your own home, right, or somewhere private. So they were drinking alcohol in public. And Ibn Taymiyyah passes them with his students going to the masjid and he didn't say anything to them. So his students said, Ya Imam, you saw a munkar, but you did not change it as the Prophet ﷺ says, Whoever sees a munkar, something wrong, you should change it with his hands. If he can't, then with his mouth. If he can't, then at least hate it in his heart. And Ibn Taymiyyah responded, he said, no. If I were to change this, it was going to result in a bigger munkar. I know that. Because DP people are still new to the deen and they shed blood very quickly. So I allowed them to stay intoxicated for now until later we can address them in a different way. So they get used to learning not to shed blood. We're taming them. <laughs> right? So it tells us that when something is going to lead to a bigger harm, then leave it for now. One brother says, I went into my friend's house. He's a Christian family friend. He had just converted to Islam. He sees him hanging a cross in his bedroom, gets up on his bed and rips the cross down and steps on it. He says, because I'm saving his life. This is not how you save it. This is wrong da'wah. At the wrong place, the wrong time and the wrong method. So my brothers and sisters, hikmah and wisdom. So Ibrahim said to his father, why do you worship that which, you cannot, you know, which is blind and deaf and cannot benefit? And he gave him the, the whole argument. It's in Surah Maryam and there is also in Surah Al-An'am and other surahs like that. Uh, 73 different passages, the argument upon debates, upon uh, the way Ibrahim salam I wouldn't say debates, but I would say more of, a, well, it was a debate, but it was more of a dialogue. So let me explain to you, and there was respect in the way that Ibrahim salam debated with them, but obviously some things could sound offensive, but this is how his people were, because of the nature of the debate that they were running. So Ibrahim salam says, starts with his father, and his father gets angry at him. Cutting the story short, it gets to a point where his father tells Ibrahim, if you do not, السلام, if you do not stop what you are doing, I am going to stone you until I die. Every time I say, I'm going to keep stoning you, I'm going to keep whipping you and stoning you with stones. Because in their belief, stoning was a way of punishing the people who went off the, the religious path of theirs. Right? It was always there. 
and wahjurni maliya, otherwise <coughs> get out. You're not allowed in my home anymore. And we see that in the end of the story, Ibrahim السلام, has no other choice, no other option, except to be forced to leave the home from his father. And what we learn from here is, in today's time, in the modern world, some people are too hasty to leave their family just because they are non-Muslims, they had a few debates or a few frowns. My advice, my brothers and sisters, whether you've converted to Islam or you've made repentance and there's a cultural culture clash, use wisdom, use respectful approach with your family. However, do not abandon them. Do not abandon them. It's not right for you to leave them because you think they are kuffar and they're non-Muslim and because they teach me bad things. No. This is your family and the Muslim has to be patient in their da'wah as much as they can. If they're harming you badly, then you can minimize the contact. But you don't abandon them completely. And this is the example of Ibrahim السلام, He waited and waited and waited to the point where his father was about to stone him. His life was at risk. He was going to kill him. He was going to kill him. And in the end, he forced him. He basically kicked him out of home. And if he had to stay, his life was in danger. Even after that, Ibrahim السلام, leaves while almost crying. The way that the verses talk about it, you can imagine Ibrahim Aslam actually crying. And he's saying, Father, okay, I will do exactly. You're forcing me to leave I don't, because now my life is in danger. I will leave you so that you don't have to do stuff like that to your own son. But I will continue to make dua for you. I will continue to ask my Lord to guide you because I want the best for you. He talked to him like he really, really cares. And after those few verses, subhanAllah, Allah says something amazing. He says, Inna Ibrahim kana Ibrahim السلام, was, and beautiful expression here, awah. He was an awah. Okay, even from the sound, you can tell what it means. A lot of Arabic words actually are formulated to suit the, the action or the sound that you make. So awah means, he used to say, oh. He used to, he used to say a word of despair, oh. Like, you know, when somebody really cares about someone else and they can't guide them, like a father or a mother and sees their child always going on drugs or doing the wrong things, they say, oh, what am I going to do about my son or my daughter? So this is the sound, awah. Allah says, Ibrahim used to do that a lot. That was one of his traits. He'd call his people, they wouldn't listen, and then he'd just be reduced and all he could say was, oh, my people, oh, why don't they listen? What else can I do? And he said that with his father. Halim. Halim means he was so patient. In other words, he did not act upon his emotions with bad uh, reactions. So he didn't go out to do things in retaliation. But you're going to see a couple of things that Ibrahim السلام, did that looks like it's retaliation or as if he was acting on his emotions. But inshallah, today we will explain and justify that. So after he had finished with his father, Ibrahim السلام, had grown up a little bit more, and on his way, he saw a bunch of people in this land, and they were each worshipping a bunch of stars. Now, one interesting scientific fact here, or so, not scientific fact, something the Qur'an says that would give us a little bit of insight on scientific facts today. Allah says, فَلَمَّا جَنَّ عَلَيْهِ اللَّيْلِ 
in Surah Al-An'am, Allah says, when night came upon Ibrahim alayhi salam, he saw a body, a round body. Kawkab means something that is round and it's a body. Not a human body. Kawkab refers to bodies in the, in, in the cosmos, in space, in the heavens. So the stars are called Kawkab in Arabic. It's also called Nujum or Najm. But a planet in specific cannot be called a Najm in Arabic, a star. It's called a Kawkab. Either way, Kawkab means round body, round planet. And the verse used here was, he saw a Kawkab, which is most likely he saw a planet. Now, modern day scholars, now Allahu Alam, I can't confirm this 100%, but modern day scholars who have studied, Islamic scholars who have studied a bit of science, they say that this verse is referring to what looks like a star as it first appears after sunset. When the sun's gone, the first star that appears is, guess what? What do we know it is? Venus. Yeah, it says Venus. Or maybe Mars sometimes. But one of the planets appears before the stars appear. Alright, because it's closer than the stars. And, and it's large enough to, to be seen, it's light to reach us before the stars. So they say, and in the Quran it says, Kawkab, Ra'a Kawkab. Now, I'm not saying it is definitely the planet Venus or Mars, but I just wanted to point to you that it's possible. Some modern day scholars said it was Venus or, or Mars because it says Kawkab. As for Nujum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We have decorated the sky with the decoration of the kawakib, of the round bodies, referring to the stars. And another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Nujum. Uh, when he said, for example, uh, Ibrahim says, He looked at the stars. Alright, so the stars are called Nujum and Kawkab, but the real planets are never called Nujum or stars. So, anyway, this is open to interpretation. He looked up into these stars or these planets and he said, That star over there is my God. That's my Lord. He didn't say God, he said Lord. Rabbi, the one who looks after me, the one who looks over me. Because the word Rabb in Arabic means the one who creates me, looks after me, right, stays with me, nurtures me, gives me. Okay, Rabb. Ilah, Ilah, la ilaha illallah. Ilah comes from the word Allah, means the one worthy of worship. Whom nobody else is worthy of worship, our actions towards him. Rabb, the one who does everything for us. So he looks at the star and says, Hada Rabbi. This is my Lord. When that planet or that star disappeared, the word afala means disappeared, he said, I don't like those that disappear. My Lord wouldn't disappear. Once he appears, he disappears. No. If my Lord appears, he will not disappear. Therefore, it cannot be my Lord. When he saw the moon, outlit and right up in the horizon, so in its absolute biggest form, so the moon was coming out, but he disregarded it until it shone really, really loud, really big, and overcome, overcame the stars. This is really my Lord, this is my Lord, this is bigger than the star, because bigger. 
and took over, it has to be the God then. It has to be my Lord. When the moon disappeared, he said, I don't think my Lord would leave me alone. I don't like a Lord that disappears on me. When he saw the sun even bigger and shining, he said, He said, this is my Lord. This is the biggest one. When the sun itself disappeared, that sunset, Ibrahim turns to his people out loud. And he says, no, 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 my Lord is not any of them. My Lord does not leave me. He is not those ones. Now, the argument is, did Ibrahim really think that they were his God? The, the answer is absolutely not. It would be absurd for anybody to say that linguistically won't make sense, even with the way the story goes. I mean, Allah SWT tells us that Ibrahim in the beginning was always a Hanif. Hanif means he worshipped one God. He says, And that was our argument, which we specifically gave to Ibrahim السلام, to use against his people. And there's your answer. Why did Ibrahim say what he said? He was using it as an argument to open, to try and teach his people a lesson. Everybody knew that Ibrahim السلام, was faking it. They knew that. And everybody knew that Ibrahim السلام, meant, after it had all disappeared, that really you guys should not be worshipping created things. You should be worshipping the creator of the created things. Why go through them and making partners with God? This is not right. Look at these created things. They travel in an order. God is not bound by orders. They come and go. God is not one who appears sometimes and leaves you another time. If he's going to appear, he stays. My Lord. And it wasn't an argument to prove the existence of God. It was an argument to show them not to worship the created things and to return back to the original teachings which their ancestors taught them. And that is one true God. The early, earliest ancestors who got the original prophets from Nuh So don't mix the two. And you are allowed to use that as a form of teaching. Now, another question. Was Ibrahim lying? Was he tricking? No. What is the answer? His people knew what he was doing. But listen to what Allah says. It was an argument of teaching that we allowed Ibrahim to do. Atainaha means Allah allowed him to do that. Like he allowed Ibrahim to do that, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called it a hujjah. It was meant to be an argument against them, a teaching method. And his people knew what he was doing. So if I come to you and I, I tell you a story that's a lie, and you knew it was a lie, but I still tell it, am I lying? I'm not really lying because he knows that I am, I'm telling this is a made up story. If I tell you, oh, there was this story that, and you know that I'm lying, sometimes I have to say, hey, it's not true. And you say, no, man, of course it's not true. Uh, this guy, apparently, he did this and he did that, and, and we learn a wisdom from it. You, you automatically understand that I am just bringing it to you as a moral. The people of Ibrahim said, knew that he was bringing to them an argument which was a moral. And that is, guys, look at the problem. This is very stupid for you to worship created things. For anyone to come and tell you, no, no, Ibrahim really thought that the star was the God and then the moon came out and he was learning that God is one, is really demeaning and putting Ibrahim really learned to be really, really stupid. Right? Like, is that stupid to look at a star and say, oh, that's my God. And then Allah tells you, well, this is the argument we gave him. What argument? 
It's a contradiction of the verses if you say it that way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, just telling you, if you hear this or research it, no. My brothers and sisters in Islam, this belief of uh, horoscopes came actually from there. And that's why we should not believe in that stuff. But the people did not believe in him. They thought, no, no, we don't want to follow this. We know what you're trying to do. And so he left them. On his way, he went past the temple. The temple which they had built, in which they worshipped the idols. You know the story. He enters the temple. And uh, after he had spoken to the people and given them all the uh, arguments and the truth and all of that, and they were persistent in rejecting him openly, he said, Allah says, نَظَرَ نَظْرَةً فِي النُّجُومِ He looked one look, he took one look at the stars. فَقَالَ إِنِّي سَقِيمٌ And then he said, I am sick. The people understood from him that, hey, maybe he's converted. He's looking at the stars. He knew from the way the stars are. Something that tells him about himself. I am sick, psychologically sick, I don't feel good. Whatever they believed in looking at the stars, he said, I need to stay in the temple because the stars are telling me something. That's why I say to brothers and sisters that don't, don't follow these things that they show you about your, 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 your month of birth and then believe that because you're born in this particular month, according to that, the moon is a certain position. The stars are in a certain position which affects your personality and character. Okay, this is where all this stuff came from. So he's saying, my personality, my character is based on the, 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 situ the positioning of the stars right now. So I'm sick because of them. Let me go in. They said, oh yeah, go, go, go. Why not? You know, they wish that Ibrahim can convert and whatever. So he goes inside and then they left. And then he said under his breath, I will show you by God. I will show you and show you by doing something that you will never forget. And hopefully, what he wants to say is, hopefully you will learn from it. Now, remember, he is one ummah. He is the only one believing in God. So he has to take the most extreme measures to get through to these people. Not like our time now. The most extreme measure, and he knows his people, was to do this act which he's about to do that we cannot do today really. And that is to go into their private temple, which he has no authority over, in their land, which he is not the king of, not the ruler of, and to destroy their own idols that are inside their temples. Now he thought to himself, I'm the son of Azar anyway, so we manufactured these idols anyway to begin with, so if I destroy them, they're not going to make a big deal, I'm, I'm the son of Azar's son. We made them anyway, I'll just get my dad to make another one for him if things get bad. Secondly, I'm the only person, I mean, I can't leave my people. I really want to guide them. There's nothing else I can do. In the entire world, nobody worships Allah. I've got to get through to them, bring a good teaching lesson. Right? No big deal. They rebuild their statues. I can't do anything about it. So he goes in. And this was, the, this was actually what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to do. Remember what the ayah says? Ibrahim. This is our argument which we gave it to Ibrahim specifically. Now some scholars say that the breaking of the idols was something that was exclusively given to Ibrahim by Allah to do that. But other scholars say that it has nothing to do with it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gave him the wisdom to how to deal with his own people. 
So in this day and age, you cannot use that as a rule to go into churches or synagogues and private places which we have no authority over or someone's home and break their idols. Not allowed to do that. It's not your right. And certainly uh, the, in the Muslim Ummah, the history, when they entered into uh, places where polytheism was there and they had built their idols, their, their, their um, churches or monasteries, and they had idols in them, the Muslims did not touch their churches and their synagogues and their temples. They did not destroy them. In fact, Allah SWT says in the Quran that if it wasn't that people defend others and Allah replaces tyrants with other people who are peaceful, then you would have seen many temples, synagogues, churches, and mosques in which Allah's name is worshipped being destroyed. So we are forbidden from destroying them. But however, if there was an Islamic rule and uh, you became the authority and there were idols and statues,